This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Covered in Pet Hair, a boozy web show for pet lovers on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Isabel Alvarez-Arada, and today I have the pleasure of having a drink and a chat with a pet first aid instructor. I'll tell you all about her and introduce you as soon as we come back from these messages from our sponsors. Molly, here's your dinner. <laughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Covered in Pet Hair. I'm your host, Isabel Alvarez-Arada, and today I have the pleasure of having a drink and a chat with a pet parent, a dog trainer, a dog walker pet sitter, an entrepreneur. She's a dog person through and through. Originally from Wyoming, raised in Texas, loves a road trip, and is often invited to speak at engagements. She's the mother to a daughter she refers to as hashtag not a puppy. (laughs) whose name I was just told, but I will not reveal. She is dogma to a sweet pity named Potato, whom I personally am obsessed with because I met him back in 2017. She also has three dogs, one of which is named Pancake, and he is Potato's protege. Then there's Ebony and Bella, who apparently just hang out and chat with each other all day while the guys are getting all the work done. I don't know. (laughs) Pretty much? Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) All right, here's my guest. Her name is Beth Bauer. She's a pet first aid instructor. It is so nice to have you on the show, Beth. Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm super excited to be here. I've been waiting. I've been waiting for you to invite me on. (laughs) I know, I know. I love to have you here. Um, I was a pet first aid instructor years ago. You are the Texas pet first aid instructor. So that's how I met you is because at the Texas Pet Sitters Association, their conference, you were there to teach all of those professional pet sitters. There easily was like, there were like 75 people there. You were there to teach us all pet first aid. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. And I've actually, I go every year to that conference and uh, I love it. It's a great group of people and great group of professionals. And I'm honored that I get to be, you know, speaking for them. And I mean, anytime I'm chosen to speak for people, to teach them and empower them on what to do in those emergencies, it's awesome. I love it. Before we go any further, anybody participating in our drinking game today, anytime you hear this word, which my guest won't know what it is, so just keep an ear out for it. Anytime you hear this word. The secret word is Dallas. 
make sure you take a drink of whatever you're enjoying, but please be 21 and over to drink and also make sure that you never drink and drive and always drink responsibly. What are you drinking tonight, Beth? Moscato. I'm a sweet wine kind of girl. You know, the one of the other people that I met at the Texas Pet Sitter Conference, uh, Jennerice Mejia, she was on the show a few weeks ago, and she also is a Moscato drinker. So the, when when Texas Pet Sitters come back together, y'all have to open a bottle together. Yeah. No, I love, <laughs> I love my sweet wines. So I, I have some girlfriends who are much, much more knowledgeable about wine in general with, than <laughs> I am. And so they're constantly, like I, one of them in particular knows my taste and she loves wine in general. And so she, she's almost always spot on. She can test a wine and tell me if I'm going to like it or not. And I don't think she's ever missed maybe once. Wow. That's a nice, that's a nice it's a very handy friend. That's a very handy friend to have for sure. Absolutely. Well, I'm drinking a Texas beer. Yeah. It is called a citrus trip in honor of our shared love of road trips. Yeah. Um, it's actually uh, made in San Antonio, Texas. And I got it at the local brewery and bottle house here in El Paso. That's called Aurelia's. Very cool. Here. Cheers it. to having you on the show to seeing you again. Awesome. Cool. That's very cool. I love that you're doing it local for me. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Keeping it local, keeping it Texas. Yes. So I have all sorts of questions, but I need to address what happened before we start recording where you told your daughter, hashtag not a puppy to go and, you know, keep herself busy while you were doing this interview. And you asked her to only interrupt you if there's an emergency and you asked her what constitutes an emergency which is perfect because that's what we're talking about today i didn't even plan that but yeah <laughs> i know that's why i have to bring it up so can you share with us because i did hear it but i want our our viewers and our listeners to hear it what did she say at four years old what constitutes an emergency in your house well <laughs> so i love that she and i just realize this as I'm about to repeat it. Uh, I love that she said the dog portion first, but she said, yes. if a dog is dying or if I'm dying, <laughs> that is the emergency at the Bowers house. <laughs> That's the emergency. So get her to yourself unless you're dying or the dog's dying. Most importantly, <laughs> I love it. That's the perfect segue to our first game, which is called P E T S O S as in pet S O S it's a true or false pet first aid trivia game Ooh. and obviously you're gonna know all the answers because you're the instructor of all instructors um are you ready to play i'm ready awesome I'm nervous now too Ooh, okay no, all right you're gonna be Let's just fine all right first one dogs tend to need first aid more than cats true or false uh, I'm going to say true because of the likelihood of them being out and about. And statistically, they're just out more with us, right? Cats are generally indoors. And if they're outdoors, people aren't with them, you know, so they might need an emergency. But a lot of times cats have an emergency and nobody's around. So it's always better to keep your pets indoors, clearly. But, you know, by and by, I think the, the overall is going to be dogs because they're out with us all the time. And that's when things can happen outside. You can have them inside too, but they're more likely outside. And I think that also dogs tend to get themselves into trouble a little more than cats. Like maybe cats are more discerning. Yes, cats are, I won't say cats are smarter, but. <laughs> I was trying to avoid that word. <laughs> I won't say that, but, um, but cats are much more finicky about what they take the risk in doing. They're more calculated, right? And they, they weigh their options a little bit better than dogs. Dogs are like, yes, let's just do it. We'll think about the consequences later. Like, yes. 
Yes. You're right, totally. So true. Okay, second one. A human first aid kit will work great for pets. True or false? It will work great. I mean, so technically true, but it's not going to have everything you need, right? Because there's going to be things that are, uh, obviously there's a size difference in humans versus dogs and cats. And um, some things you need very, very small. Some things you need are much larger, depending on the pets you have, right? So yes, it will, but it's not complete. So there are a lot of things in the human pet first aid kit, or human pet, it's a habit of mine. <laughs> yes. The human first aid kit that you absolutely can use on your animals, but there are some things that you want to be cautious of, like triple antibiotic ointment, we don't want to use in cats, but like you can use some triple antibiotics for uh, creams for dogs, but then like, you know, in, if there's a saline piece in your pet first aid kit uh, for humans, you can use that to wash wounds out for the dog. So there's a lot of things that can cross over, but there's also a lot of things that are missing that you really do need more for the pet. And it depends on what size of pet you have. So. Just like bandages are gonna like run the gamut, right? And band-aids don't stick on <laughs> hair. Band-aids are not gonna do anything for any pet, right? Do, and honestly, that's most of what a pet, right, human first aid kit is. Like there's a few pieces, like there's tweezers and things like that you can pull out. Betadine if you have to, you know, sanitize something, but most of what you're paying for is gauze and band-aids. And so that's just not gonna, the gauze you can use, but band-aids don't do anything for fur. So we, we don't recommend using a human first aid kit. We recommend building your own pet first aid kit based on your pets and what's likely to happen to your pets based on what uh, you do with your pets. So like if you hike, you're going to have a whole different list of priorities for emergency care than if you just do a road trip or you just, you know, stay at home with your dogs. Based on your personal activities with your pets, you have to consider all of that, which we obviously go over in class and, and I can help people with that and kind of creating a kit that works best for what their pet and the size of their pet uh, need. So it takes a little more time, but it's much more useful when you really need it is that you have all the stuff already there. So yeah, absolutely. Yes. But you very, can. very, very good. So I guess a human first aid kit is better than no first aid kit, but it's it is, but not it's, ideal. But it's not ideal. It's not complete, right? right. You still want to build up your own kit. It's a great place to start if you have nothing, but yeah. For sure. An animal in pain may bite. True or false? Oh, heck yes, it is. So yeah, no, I love this because we have a saying, a motto, a pet tech mantra. Any pet that's in pain are going to be moved into pain can and will bite. I don't care if it's your soul mutt. I don't care if it's Fluffy who would never bite. If I'm in enough pain, I'll bite you, right? Mm -hmm. Like... <laughs> My daughter will bite if she's in enough pain. I mean, it just, when pain is bad enough, we have reflexes and, and dogs especially, they won't bite you because they don't like you. It's not personal, but they absolutely will bite to make you stop, right? Because if you're moving them in pain or they anticipate pain, they don't want that. And so they may actually just grab you to like, they don't bite you, but they may just grab to say, look, and that's a very nice dog or cat, not likely in a cat, they'll bite you. <laughs> but, <laughs> A dog might be trying to just say, look, dude, stop, don't go any further, right? Um, but if it hurts and you're the one causing it or you're the one close to them when they hurt, you could absolutely get bit. So we teach emergency muzzling so that everybody stays safe because when you have that moment of an emergency, like if you get bit trying to help your dog, you then have to deal with both emergencies, right? Or like if you are a pet professional and your team gets bit in the process of dealing with an emergency, 
regardless of your personal feelings about it, you have to ethically and legally take care of your employee before the dog. And that is that is not always an easy choice to make, right? Especially if they are the one that caused it, right? So you do have to be very, very careful, but you have to, I mean, humans have to come before the animals. So you've got to make sure everybody stays safe, right? Very good points, actually. I never thought about that. And I ran a 12 year plus business that where I was like, always like what we do for the dog what we do for the dog or what we do for the cat and yeah obviously i mean i think it went without saying but yeah we didn't even tell our staff like you're obviously going to become the priority if you get hurt yeah and they they don't always want to be the priority but you have to take care of them first and it's tough for the client too right like to say i'm so sorry we couldn't help your pet because your pet bit our staff member uncomfortable situation all around like nobody wants to deal with that nobody needs to be bit like just if you're about to move the pet let's learn how to make sure that they're easily muzzled you don't have to have anything fancy like we teach you how to do it with stuff that you're already going to have with your pet i can teach you how to do it with a leash yes and just get them muzzled so that they at least in that moment of moving them everybody can stay safe and then you know the other part of this that i I have to insert here because it's something that really nobody ever thinks about is if a pet gets hurt and they bite in the process right obviously yes you have to take care of the pet but if it's something that's going to need long-term hospital care you have to then go through a quarantine process because now there's a bite on record right and so like that just adds a whole nother level a lot of times the vets can be considered quarantine but it depends on your state it depends on your city it depends on the facility like some facilities are not actually considered uh rabies quarantine but they have to quarantine for 10 days you know and owner has to pay for that and when your pet's recovering like it just gets messy right if there's a bite involved because they have to make sure that the pet's not showing signs of rabies and that's why they bit we know that they probably bit because they were in pain but it just has a whole nother complexity to it that you don't want to focus on I'm hearing a dog. Who yeah. am I hearing? Who am I hearing panting, excitedly panting? <laughs> it's Moses. Let me let him out of his kennel. He's a Rhodesian Ridgeback that's uh, staying with me. Give me one second. <laughs> All right. So the next one, I should use a tourniquet if my pet is bleeding. Mm-hmm. See, you're giving me all these mm, not really true, not really false. Well, first of all, tourniquet's a medical, human medical term, so we don't typically use it in the um, veterinary world, but for all intents and purposes, you guys know what we're talking about. Um, Yes, in some cases, when the dog is bleeding out, you do have to cut off the bleeding, but it gets very complicated because if you cut off the bleeding, you cut off the bleeding, right? So you can stop the bleeding if it's a life over limb decision. Right. So you want to be very, very careful with that, because if the dog is truly bleeding out now, that varies on size, how much blood you're seeing, all of that, not just because you see a little bit of blood. Right. Because if you tie it off, I tell my students, like, you have to understand when you tie this extremity off and you cut off the bleeding, you're cutting off circulation to the cells. And so there is a very good chance, depending on how tight the tourniquet is put on, how long it's on, all of these other factors, how healthy the pet is, you know, all that that they may have to amputate that leg. If the cells die off, they're not gonna be able to replenish, right? And so it's a very mm, dicey situation. And especially when you're dealing with a client's pet for any pet professionals, like you better be darn sure that that pet is truly bleeding out before you just tie it off. There's lots of other protocols that we do before we get to that point to see if we can control the bleeding because the end result, right, is so drastic, right? Because you have to, you have to be okay with that leg being amputated. Now, pets do fine generally with three legs, like they, they adapt. It's one of the amazing things about them, but it's still an adjustment. And especially if it's not your pet, that's hard. Yes. So 
Uh, yes, but no. True. <laughs> okay, so only in the most dire of situations. Yes. So this is an always answer. So burns always need medical attention. True or false? I'm gonna say yes, because I always tell people that I'm not a vet. I will never play a vet on TV, right? Like <laughs> I am not gonna give you medical advice and tell you, no, that burn is fine. Like it, you can heal it. You can put something on it. It's fine. I'm always going to say, regardless of your training, regardless if you're a nurse, regardless if you're a veterinary student, if you're a vet tech, which I was a vet tech for 11 years. so. There are a lot, of, a lot of situations that I can probably make a judgment for more than a layman pet owner, but I'm still not a vet, right? Like, and I still don't know everything. And there's so many factors. So I can't say for sure your, your dog's burn is going to be fine, right? Because there's so many things. So yes, absolutely. Always seek veterinary care. Even if you have the emergency handled, always seek veterinary care because you're not a veterinarian, right? And make sure that there's nothing else outside of your realm that you may not even be aware of that you don't know. There's a lot that I don't know. I mean, I know a lot, but I don't know everything, right? Yeah. Mo and most general pet parents aren't going to know how severe that burn is. We're talking uh, a very different experience for a, an animal with fur versus like our skin. There's first, second and third degree burns and there's chemical yes. burns versus electric, you know, um, versus like electrical. Yeah. I think like electrical burns. Yeah. There's electrical, there's hot asphalt, you know, like they can just mm -hmm. get burned, heat burns. That's the one we deal with most in Texas. But yeah, I mean, I've seen, I've seen mouths just completely burned because the dog is chewing on electrical cord. I've seen <gasps> burns from, you know, the dog licking or chewing on something that had a chemical on it that was caustic and it burned their mouth. I have seen hot water accidentally poured on a dog. I've seen flames, dogs that were set on fire, some intentionally uh, in abuse cases. I mean, it's just the, the just, they run the gamut, you know, and there's so many types and there's so many different degrees of burns. Yeah, the trauma behind all, it, it has to be treated by a veterinarian. So yes, absolutely. For sure. Okay, last one. The ASPCA's pet poison control line is free and you call whenever you have any questions. True or false? <laughs> So there's actually two pet poison hotlines. There's ASPCA and there's Pet Poison Helpline. I actually use Pet Poison Helpline a lot. Well, I, I recommend it a lot. I use them more because they have a great website and um, they are about a little less expensive than ASPCA. But yes, that is a very good point to bring up. They are not free. Um, it does cost, uh, I don't know what the current one is. Last time I checked, I think it was 89 for uh, ASPCA and 79 for Pet Poison Helpline. Don't quote me on that, uh, yes. but uh, is that right? It's something like that. Yes. Yeah. I was like, oh, maybe you're right. No. I don't. I didn't. I didn't do the research, but I have called twice in my time, and I will say that you have to have your card ready. Yes. Do not call while you're driving to the vet. Call. Give them your debit card number. Then go to the vet. They'll call the vet when you're on your way. Yes. People always ask me like, why in the world would I pay them if I'm going to the vet? And I have to point out like your vet is generally a general practitioner. They're not toxicologists. The pet poison helpline or ASPCA, the veterinarians behind them are toxicologists. So whether you talk to a vet or you talk to one of the techs, they're all being 
led by the toxicologists who specialize in all of these poisons. Correct. They know much more about the intricate details and the ingredients that are in some of these products than your typical vet would. And most of the time, your vet is going to have to call poison control themselves unless it's a very, very common poison or they happen to know it off the top of their head. Or um, I mean, there's some things that they can handle very easily without poison control. But then there's cases where your dog has a complicated medical background and they've eaten something and that just you know, puts a whole different complexity to it. So, you know, you're probably going to end up having to call them anyway, but they may be able to give you instructions ahead of time to tell you what to do while you're on the way. If you can induce vomiting or not induce vomiting, we teach people how to do it, but let me be clear. You never want to induce vomiting without the instructions of a veterinarian, whether that's through ASPCA poison control or your own personal veterinarian, you never want to induce vomiting just because you think it should. There are things that they can eat that should not come back up. Right. They'll do more as much or more damage coming up. Just let them stay there and let the vet deal with it. And I mean, and just ask what, what they need you to do, what there might be something you can do at home, but they're, and then they may tell you that what they ate for their weight isn't an emergency and you may not yes. have to. So your, you know, $79 fee might be the only thing you have to pay. You may not have, right. they may actually save you money from not going to the vet. So correct. And this includes medication that they may have eaten. So I think it's important to remember that whether it's dog specific medication or human specific medication, an overdose is an overdose is an overdose. And so pet poison control line and the ASPCA poison control, they cover not only poisons, but medications in overdose situations. Human medications, I mean, at least one year recently was the number one. When you put all the human medications that dogs have eaten, that was the number one reason they were called. That yes. Rat bait and chocolate and all of the other, I mean, there's several of them that are very common, um, but human medications is typically number one for them. So put your stuff away, guys. Absolutely. And make sure you call with your debit card number handy before you start heading to the vet because that information has to happen. So I have to take a break right here. I will be right back with Beth as soon as we come back from these messages from our sponsors. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There's no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Covered in Pet Hair. I'm your host, Isabel Alvarez-Rada, and today I have the pleasure of having a drink and a very, very informative chat with Beth Bowers, who is the go-to pet first aid instructor in the state of Texas. And I will tell you that because I have named her that, not because she has some fluff on her website. She truly is, from my experience, the go-to pet first aid instructor in Texas. And she has taught many, many pet professionals that you may be working with pet first aid and CPR. So I want to go ahead and ask you questions about pet first aid and CPR and how often you think that we're going to actually need them as pet parents. 
So the first thing is, have you or any of your students that you've taught actually had to use any of these techniques that you've taught? Yes, this is a hard one. So yeah, I mean, people do. And, and the unfortunate thing, this is probably one of my, one of the hardest parts about teaching, because typically, you know, you're, I'm teaching people as a preventative, but unfortunately, most people are complacent with the fact that they've never had to deal with an emergency before, or that they would just go to their vet. But I get a lot of students who have lost their pets because of an emergency and then join the class because they want to know what happens next next time. And the likelihood of it happening again, obviously is very low, but the problem is that the most people don't realize how much preventative stuff we do and how much just expanding your knowledge will prevent emergencies. I have no idea how many emergencies I've prevented, right? There's just no way to calculate. I wish I could, but there's no way to calculate that. So the problem is, is that, you know, people unfortunately don't do the class or don't get the education until it's too late. Now I will say that I, uh, very, very quickly, I'll try really hard not to cry. <clears throat> so oh. eight, uh, let's see what here. So eight years ago, I uh, lost my soul mutt, Bert. He was a basset hound, Great Pyrenees. And uh, he was my CPR demo dog. And so we traveled all over the place and we did lots and lots of events. He taught all my classes with me. He was awesome. He was five feet long, two feet tall. So Great Pyrenees in a basset body, right? Like, oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> steroids. Yeah, I'll show you a picture of something. It's fantastic. Anyway, so he, he did all my classes with me and obviously he was fantastic for marketing because people stopped me wherever I was and like, what is that? And you can't forget him. Like you see a dog like that. You're like, whoa. So he was, he was phenomenal. He was a great dog. Like he just was so low key, so chill, like totally my spirit animal. And we had a, you know, we had a great run and unfortunately some, I fostered too many. I burnt myself out and I was took on too much um, years ago in my life before my daughter and uh, was taking on too many fosters at the same time I was pet sitting. It was just too much. And um, I had been pet sitting a job uh, for about a week and came home. I was pet sitting my own dogs basically, but staying at a client's house. And uh, so I come home the next morning, the night before I was like, oh, it's the last night. It's fine. I'll let all the dogs be in the same room together. And I had never had any issues before, but I remember like had this feeling of like, maybe I shouldn't. And then I was, I was like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Next morning I came home to a bloodbath and one of my fosters had gotten out of her kennel and a fight had ensued. Unfortunately I was there. So I have no idea what happened. Yeah. Like what over, what, what instigated it? No idea. I suspect based on other injuries and stuff, it was two females going after each other. And then Bert was a really good referee. Like he was fantastic in play sessions because he would break, break fights up, break scuffles up, break tension up. Like he was, he was really good at what we call splitting, right? So he would get in between the dogs and split them up. But I think that the fight, they just redirected on him uh, because he was just, he was covered in puncture wounds. And um, anyway, so when I got home, he was in shock and I rushed him to the vet because I mean, there's a point that it's like, you don't even, you don't even do anything else, right? You just take him to the vet. And so I took him and uh, he fell into acute kidney failure. And so he stayed five days in the hospital. Luckily I worked at the hospital at the time. So I did not leave him. And I, I was running the daycare and doing training. And so I wasn't really work. I wasn't a tech at that hospital. And so I just took time off from my job and I stayed at the hospital, the same company. Anyway, so we started to see some improvements. And so we were feeling pretty good about stuff and it just, you just never think it's going to happen. You just don't, even when you know that there's always that possibility. I knew he was critical, but I just never thought it would happen to him. 
ever. And, uh, and I'd gone, I'd gone home one night and I was like, okay, we're, I was on the phone with the vet and I was, it was late. It was like 10 o'clock and I'd gone home to take a shower. I'd, I'd been at the hospital for five days, basically and hadn't left. And so I took a shower, I ate, I went back to the clinic to sleep on the floor with him. And he, he was barking real weird. And I was like, what you, what's going on with him? So I got off the phone. I was like, Hey, he's barking. Let me, let me call you back. So I thought he just needed a potty. And so I unhooked his IV. I let him out and we weren't, he was in so much pain that we weren't like, we weren't walking him. He was coming out of the kennel and peeing right there. Yeah. So I fell underneath him to catch it. But that movement basically of coming out of the kennel, he collapsed and like, I went to catch him and he died like instantly. It was, Oh my God, how traumatic for you. I'm so, so sorry. My whole world just, I mean, it, I was so like, he was my kid. He went everywhere with me. He did all my sessions with me. He went to work with me. He went to my classes with me. Like he was literally with me all the time and he was 12. And so, um, and I'd gotten him in my twenties. And so it was like, you know, it's that dog that grows up with you in your twenties and goes through all the, you know, all the jobs, all the houses, you know, while you're finding yourself and all that. And he was that dog for me. And so like, he was absolutely my kid. And, and I, I had to do CPR on my own CPR dog. And, you know, I mean, I can do this training with like the back of my hand, like I can repeat it without a PowerPoint. Like I know what to do, but you don't ever think it's going to happen to you. Right. And the likelihood, I mean, let's be real. The likelihood for most pet parents is that they probably aren't going to ever have to do CPR. CPR is what pulls people into the class. They're like, Oh, I, I need to know what to do. But the likelihood is most people would never have to do it. I was in a hospital, but it was not my hospital. So I didn't know where the trach tubes were. I didn't know where the oxygen was. I was by myself with a 120 pound dog who was dead weight. So I couldn't get him to where I needed him to be. And I had no help. Right. And so I was in that situation, the exact situation that I teach about of like, what do you do? If you're not in a hospital, if you don't have a vet, if you don't have any of the tools, I mean, everybody like, I just take him by my vet. Yes. But what if you don't have all that and the dog collapses in front of you? What do you do? Right. And so even though I was in a situation that technically I should have known, I should have figured out where the crash cart was. I should have figured out where all the oxygen was, but I didn't because I didn't think it was going to happen. Right. Right. So anyway, I did CPR. I I had 1% on my battery, which is another piece that I always tell people is Murphy's law, right? You need your battery. And all of a sudden you just didn't charge it. Right. And so I had 1% on my battery. I hadn't charged it yet. I I just gotten there. I was going to plug it in. So I called the vet back and I screamed, he crashed and she's like, call the nurses. And so I called two nurses. It took everybody 20 minutes to get there. They just weren't right around the corner. So, but 20 minutes in, I was still doing CPR. I mean, it felt like hours. I mean, it just felt like so long. And I mean, I'm just continuing to do these compressions and these breaths and he's so big and I'm on the floor and it's uncomfortable. And you just don't think about all that stuff when you're like thinking about doing a class, you don't understand like until you're in that moment, how hard this really is. And I was completely out of breath. And the other thing that we, we encourage people to do is to rotate people in, right? So like, you don't want to continue to do CPR. You want people to jump in and people are like, no, I can do it. I can do it. And it's their dog and they want to save them. And I'm like, no, 20 minutes in my breaths were not, yes. effective. my compressions were weaker because I've been doing it for 20 minutes. It's such a physical thing. And you have your adrenaline rush and your panic and all your emotions that come up and I mean, I remember thinking the moment he crashed, all I want to do is scream. I mean, because my life completely flashed before me and I wanted to just cry and scream and you can't do that and do CPR. So you have to make a a conscious choice to go, nope, I'm saving this dog. And, and here's the bottom line. It didn't work. 
and it doesn't always work. Right. And I questioned everything. I, you know, I questioned how I did it, but I mean, literally I couldn't have been more prepared. Right. Right. For knowing where the crash cart was or knowing, you know, that's the only things I could have done, but I knew how to do it, you know, but we don't really know what happened. We figure he had an arrhythmia or through a clot or something like that. And CPR wasn't going to fix any of that anyway, but, um, but you know, what I, what I tell most of my students is look, yes, this class obviously teaches you CPR and you should know what to do in case of your pet crashes. But most of what this class is about is one prevention so that you know what you don't know, right? You know that there are things out there that might happen that you never even thought of and you can prevent them just by knowing that they're even possibilities. And there's lots of things we, we show you and teach you so that you are more prepared, so that you avoid incidents where that potentially can happen. But most importantly is when you're in a situation that you can't control and you can't save your pet, you can find closure in knowing that you did way more than most people. And you did everything you could in the moment that you had using the resources that you had, you did everything you could, which most people if they haven't taken a pet CPR and first aid course, they can't say, you know, and so you have closure in that and it doesn't make it any easier. I mean, it, it doesn't, but later <laughs> after you come out of the clouds, you do realize that, you know, you gave that dog a chance. Otherwise you end up joining my class afterwards and going, Oh my God, I could have done something different. And then there's the whole what if game. Yes. And you torture yourself because then you're in the class and you're like, Oh, and the whole class you're thinking about that one dog or one cat that you couldn't help. And I mean, here's the thing, you might've been able to help them, but you might not have been, even right. if you've done everything right, you might not have been able to help them because the likelihood of CPR actually saving a pet. And I, I like to give these statistics and I, I don't even know if the, the numbers are completely accurate. So forgive me if they're a percentage off or so, but in a hospital humans, right? There's only like a, maybe in a hospital, I think it's like 20%, 18% likelihood that they come back from C- with CPR, right? Out of hospital, like in an ambulance, it's even less than that. It's like 10 to 15% based on, you know, I mean, it's small. I mean, it's so small. And then animals are even harder, right? Because we can't use defibrillators on them, right? They're too small. They're too fragile. So we don't use defibrillators on, on dogs and cats. So in hospital, some vets quote that CPR in hospital is less than a 5% chance. Now, a lot of statistics say 8 to 10, but in hospital, I've seen some statistics on people's on vets wording on stuff, and they'll say like 5 to 6% in a hospital. That's with oxygen, with a trach tube, <gasps> IV catheter, with fluids, with medications to restart the heart, right? So outside of the hospital, the likelihood is low. It's very, very low, less than 5%. So, you know, when you look at those statistics, it's like, I mean, no, you're not likely to save them, but you might. There are cases where you do save pets, right? There are cases where right. dogs do come back. And so, you know, you you don't want to have to live with that possibility, right? But there's just so much more in the class besides the CPR portion, but people fixate on the CPR, which is great. I mean, you should know what to do, but there's so many more emergencies that are way more common, yes. <laughs> way more common. To me, when I was teaching the course, because I'm also certified, I was certified through pet tech as well. The biggest one for me was choking. For me, choking was the biggest one because I don't take my dogs on super difficult hikes. I never really was outside enough to talk about snake bites or spider bites, even though you don't really have to be outside for the spider bites. My dog got a spider bite Titan. 
more likely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, they're likely, and my dog got a spider bite. We don't, we think in the yard or in the house. And, you know, we had no idea until like he literally had like necrosis of the skin. Yeah, it was horrible. But the one that was really interesting to me was choking. Yep. What to do if you can't get the whatever it is lodged out to the vet in five to 10 minutes. If you've got to know what to do right then. Exactly. Right when you're choking. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, choking and heat stroke. Heat stroke is the one that. Oh, I mean, yes. So the problem in Texas is that we have not only high heat, and that is a portion of it, but the humidity is so bad through so many of our months, you know, and the, the combination of the heat and humidity, it just, it kills our dogs. I mean, it does. And, and Florida deals with the same thing. There's lots of states that deal with high heat, but dry heat is a little bit easier for them to tolerate. Then you get burns on like the asphalt and stuff like that. But, but heat stroke is another one. It's probably the number one when I'm out like doing events and things like that. That's probably the number one thing I deal with as far as pet emergencies, but choking, I have a lot of pet boarding facilities where pets choke on raw hides that they shouldn't give yes. them. Do not give your pets raw hides. Do not. And oh, let me say something. Can I, do I have two seconds to say this? You can have, you can have as much time as you'd like. I want to clarify this because years ago, everybody started to hear from vets. Don't give your pets raw hides. Don't give your pets raw hides. Right. So people stopped giving their pets raw hides. Obviously sales went down. Right. Have you noticed when you go to pet stores, how many chew bones say no raw hide on them now? I don't know if you noticed that. Yes, 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 yes. So they say no rawhide. So your typical layman pet parent goes, oh, no rawhide, totally safe. Because my vet specifically said no rawhide. So they buy it, sales go back up. But guess what, guys? It's not about the rawhide. It's the choking hazard. So there's lots of those chews. If your pet chews them down, and especially if you can't see them, like in the mouth of that, like you're like, wait, where was that? That was just, that was, that was a, a lot bigger a minute ago. And now all of a sudden it's this, when it gets to inside their mouth or even right on the outside of the mouth, take it away, take it away immediately because, and just chuck it. I like the Himalayan yak chews because once they get to a small thing, you put them, you soak them in water and you um, put them in the microwave and they pop up. It's amazing. Right. So they become bigger. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> Uh, anyway, but there's, um, so you don't have to like waste the little bit, but just chuck it. Know that you're going to throw out, you know, size appropriate chew bones. There's pros and cons to all kinds of those bones. And I'm happy to discuss that later, but like, you just have to understand no hide does not mean that it's a safe thing for them to chew on. It might be fine, but it's the choking hazard that we're all mostly worried about. So when your pet is, a, is an avid chewer, they can swallow any of those, any of them and inhale them. And it goes down the wrong tube and then they choke, obviously. One. Yes, for sure. And to me, the biggest thing about choking is if you can see it, you take it out. Sure. Right. Um, but if you're not there and they're chewing on it, how could you possibly see it? So always when you give your pet a chew of some sort, be there to supervise. Listen to see if you're hearing the hacking like kind of like we do baby led weaning with my my kids and one of the biggest rules is they have to be supervised you don't just give them something to entertain themselves and go run an errand in your house you sit there and you watch them because choking is silent most of the time but you could maybe hear a little something part of choking is silent like if they can cough and gag we're okay like we're not okay but like but you gotta be there to watch it be okay but like the, if I can cough or I can gag, yes. there's breathing happening. There's enough air to pass that object to be life-sustaining. Once it goes silent, you're in big trouble. Dangerous part, right? So it's, it's not always so easy, right? And, and dogs will choke on their food. 
Yes. Dogs are so gone. I mean, I've, I've heard it. I've seen it. It's, it's just crazy how they just, especially those inhalers, right? The vacuum cleaner dogs that we've got, they just inhale the food, especially boarding facilities. If any of you are boarding facilities, I see it so often in boarding facilities because the dogs are anxious yes. and it changes their eating habits. And so they just, you know, and I feed out of slow feeders. Most of my boarding dogs eat out of slow feeders or puzzle toys because it slows them down. Yes. I love an enrichment toy with the slow feeders because they're also like a good way to entertain and enrich your dog. So it slows them down. It's healthier for them. They get mental stimulation. I feel like everybody needs to jump on this bandwagon, especially during like when we're laying low at home, not doing so much stuff, not taking our dogs on road trips, give them some enrichment every day. Yeah. That's the trainer in me. I will talk about it. I mean, that's a whole nother podcast. I can talk I know about we can do another one. Well, I actually do have to wrap up. I know you actually have a training session after this. So tell us how can our listeners and viewers get in touch with you if they want to learn more about your pet CPR and pet first aid and CPR classes and about your dog training, pet sitting, yeah, dog uh, walking. all of it, right? All of it. Um, so we are ramping up. Um, there's pet tech instructors across the country. So, you know, first I'll say that. So definitely go to pettech.net to find a class near you, to find an instructor. If you're interested in becoming an instructor, which we're ramping up a lot of, because I mean, COVID, obviously we believe in in-person classes. We have never gone online. We will never go online because we want this information to be in your muscle memory, right? How many webinars have we all taken this last year that like, I don't remember half of them, right? I don't remember half of the stuff. This is not something where we want you to be like, I just want it for the certificate. I want you to actually be able to save your pet or your client's pets. And, and you've got in that moment of an emergency, you can't just like go look and refresh your memory of a, of a, a webinar, right? Or go back to refer to your notes. Like that's just not possible. So the skills in our class, we make you do them over and over and over so that in that moment, you don't think about it. You just act, you just do it. And trust me, we hear it so many times. It just came back to me. It just came back. And so it's, it's an amazing class. It's long, it's comprehensive, it's complete. I obviously have a love, I love teaching and I, I've been teaching for 14 years now. So I've been doing it a long time. I'm a master instructor. There are 13 of us uh, master instructors uh, across the country. So we're all over the place. So if you have an interest in becoming an instructor, check out pettech.net, find an instructor training to you. If you want to come down to Dallas, chill out, go out to Austin. I don't care. Like we can do, it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we, we believe so much in that in-person class. So a lot of classes have been very, very small or cautious during COVID, but obviously as COVID starts to lift a little bit, people are getting vaccinated. People are getting more comfortable with doing group classes. I'm still very, very safe with my classes. There's lots of distances, masks, all that stuff, but we want to make sure that you have those skills. So as we ramp up, this is a great business opportunity for people that are pet professionals to become an instructor, um, add something different to your resume, right? Um, and get some new clients, get a lot of exposure. It's something that is very different, right? It is not your typical, I do dog walking, I do pet sitting, I'm a trainer, because there's lots of those, right? But telling somebody you're a pet CBR and first aid instructor, that's different, right? And it's sticky. And so it's a great marketing opportunity for you. But my business is Power to the Paws Pet Services and Education, and I own Texas Pet CPR and First Aid. So, um, and so you can, you know, feel free to visit my website, um, texaspetcpr.com. But I do travel to a lot of businesses. I do travel across the country. So, um, but there's usually an instructor close to you. So, um, or a master instructor. So we 
always be able to help you. But pettech.net is easy. Uh, you can find a lot more information about the, the company and the stuff. But reach out to me uh, if you guys need anything. And I'm sure you can give them my contact information. But um, I'm happy to help in any way that I can. Awesome. Well, I just want to add just because not not because I was certified by the same company. This was years ago. But also, if you have a team of any sort, you're a pet professional with a team, if you become an instructor, then you can train your staff. And that's why I became an instructor oh so many years ago. And I used to love teaching because yeah. I was able to teach groomers. I was able to teach other, even competitors of mine came to my classes and it was a great networking opportunity. Yeah. Trainers that come to my class, but yeah. Exactly. So definitely not just for pet pros, pet parents. If you've never been to a pet first aid class, I highly recommend pet tech specifically. And I will say it because I've taken other classes from other places. And like you said, Beth, like the muscle memory you get, the the thorough explanations, the workbooks, the take homes, all of the things, the muzzling skills that you learn. You don't learn that at other, and I won't name any, but other pet first aid classes. It's true. I mean, I've taken a lot of them. I've taken, I've, I, you know, because I want to know what else is out there for people. And and I, you know, I keep hoping that there's other, other classes that have, you know, good information because, you know, we're not going to teach everybody, but I just, I haven't found any that's anywhere close to as complete. And, and our programs are long. I mean, we're not, there's, and people will ask me that they'll ask me why our classes are so long. And I am very, I look at them because I'm like, it's longer because it's more information. Like we give you way more information then, you know, everybody else kind of gives very surfacey like stuff. And it's like, we go a lot more, people need to know the why behind what they're doing so that it makes sense for them. And, they, and there's, there's something that Tom Soames does that I have never seen done in another pet CPR program. So I, I like to mention it to people. He is uh, an NLP practitioner. And so when it, which is neuro-linguistic programming. So the way that the class is built, the way it is styled, right? It actually lands and people remember it because of the way it is actually taught. So there's very specific protocols for how we teach it so that you learn. And it's not just like Tom just threw this program together. I mean, first of all, there's veterinarians involved and all of that. And there's a lot of lot that goes into the program, but there's a whole nother level that I've never seen done with another CPR class, but it's, it's the neuro-linguistic programming so that you actually do retain it without ever knowing that you're, that it's there, right? Like it's not an obvious thing, but it's, it's built into the program in the way that we teach it. So it's fantastic. And I, you know, obviously I love pet tech and uh, I've been teaching them for so long. So find a master instructor in your area. If you want to become an instructor, reach out to me and I can help you with that. If you need anything, come out to Texas, come on out, take classes from me, but you know, get your staff trained or become an instructor, save yourself some money. <laughs> it's worth the investment. It really is. And it's, it, the pet tech is such a great company in general, like they have tons of support and, and it's, it's a great company to join. And, um, and it's a great revenue stream for people that are professionals. For sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for being on the show. I want to propose a toast to you for all the good you're teaching all the people oh out there. <laughs> She's toasting with an empty glass. Oh no. Oh. It's okay. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. I also want to propose a toast to our executive producer, Mark Winter, for making this show possible and to our listeners on Pet Life Radio and our viewers on YouTube. Thank you for spending your time with us. Here's to a life covered in pet hair because there's no better way to live. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> to learn more about covered in pet hair, please visit coveredinpethair.com or petliferadio.com. 
That's a wrap on season one of Covered in Pet Hair, a boozy web show for pet lovers on Pet Life Radio and YouTube. Please join me. Season two is right around the corner. First episode of season two will drop in September, right after Labor Day. And I look forward to bringing you more awesome guests, more delicious cocktails, and everything that has to do with why we love being covered in pet hair. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll talk to you soon. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.